It is wonderful to see each of you this morning, and I want to take just a moment and give a praise report of what God did last night. If you were a part of the first night of Wonder Christmas concert, um, you may know that there were a number of people who made a profession of faith. And right now, it looks like there's at least 25 people who came to faith in Christ last night. Praise the Lord for that. And I also share that because it's going to be taking place again tonight. So if you did not get a chance to come, I want to encourage you to be here. Bring friends, bring neighbors, bring coworkers with you. It's going to be an amazing night. So by a show of hands, if you've ever been to Savannah, let me see your hands. Ah, look at that. That's wonderful. You can put your hands down. I thought in a group of this size, based on the fact that we live in the state of Georgia and proximity alone would mean that a lot of people would have been. So I was guessing there would be a lot of hands that went up. So I recently read that historical attractions are the primary reason that almost 15 million visitors per year go into the city of Savannah. And that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of great history that is right there in the area. Now, for the people who come to Savannah for history, there's a really good chance at some point they will find their way down to River Street. It's right in the heart of the historic district. It is a beautiful place, incredible views, wonderful little shops, and it is known for its cobblestone streets. So here is your early Sunday morning history lesson that you did not know you needed until you got to church this morning. So according to historians, Savannah became a major shipping destination over 400 years ago. And the city would attract different ships from ports in the north as well as from across the Atlantic. And when some of those ships came in and they were carrying a lighter load, maybe like cotton or silk or indigo, the captains were afraid that with light cargo and rough seas that those ships might capsize before they got into the port. So for safety of the crew as well as the goods that they carried, they would bring stones and they would load the bottom of the ships to bring balance to make sure that these ships would make it safely into the port. So whenever the ships arrived in Savannah, they would dump the stones and they would fill it with other heavier items and then they would move on to their next destination from there. Now over time, all of those stones began to accumulate and they became the foundation for many of those roads such as River Street. So there's your history lesson for the morning. In fact, there was at least one person that enjoyed that history lesson. I'm grateful. Here's the reason that story has always intrigued me. The question was never, could the ships carry heavy weight? The question was, would the ships be balanced for the journey? We have a similar type of balancing act that we're in. It's not one about light cargo and rough seas, but it is a balancing act between busyness and rest. We have a limited amount of time, and we got a lot of demands on that time. So if you were to think about work and family, school, home life, friends, those pieces alone would push a lot of us out to the margins of our calendar. But then you throw in some sports for the family, and you throw in some doctor's appointments for everybody around, and you try to gobble down something to eat over the kitchen sink because you're rushing right back out the door for something else, 
and then you pay some bills, and then you unclog the drain in the master bath. I happen to have done that yesterday. That's why my wife is laughing. <laughs> then you walk the dog. Then you respond to the last 30 text messages that came in over the last hour. And by the time it's done, you just want to go to bed. And when you go to bed, you go to bed with the knowledge, tomorrow it's all going to happen again. Now, the reason some of you can identify is because a variation of that story is pretty much your life. It's what we live seven days a week, 365 days a year. So here is my question for you. Where does rest fit into that schedule? How does a believer who has a desire to abide in Christ, how do they learn to abide if such a major part of that is a place of silence and solitude and rest. Where do you find that place? Here's another question for you on that. Does excessive busyness lead to human flourishing? Or is it very possibly taken away from our quality of life? Today in our Issues of the Heart series, we are talking about busyness and rest. Now, as I was preparing for this message, there were two different statements that popped into my mind at different points in the week. Each one of them deals with Satan and busyness, and yet they come from opposite perspectives. So maybe you've heard this one before. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. That would tend to suggest that you need to keep going and going, be busier and busier, because the moment you stop, Satan is about to pounce on you. But then there's another one that also comes up. And that is, is, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Now, that one tends to suggest that if you stop somewhere along the way, then the enemy is going to come in. Or that the enemy is going to use busyness many times, even if there's not a breakdown in morality. So it's almost like if you stay idle, the enemy is going to attack. If you stay busy, the enemy is going to attack. Guess what that means? The enemy's going to attack one way or the other. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to discern between what it looks like to work hard and give our all to what we do and to love people well, and at the same time, to follow biblical patterns when it comes to rest. Like the ships of old, the question is not, can we carry a heavy load? The question is, are we balanced for the journey? How many people today are one storm away, one big wave away, one unexpected set of circumstances away from capsizing? And they don't even know they're that close to the edge. How do you regain balance if it's been lost in your life? This morning, we're going to let the Word of God answer that for us. I invite you to go with me today in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 1, we are in verses 35 through 39. I am addressing the subject of busyness and rest. Busyness and rest. I'm going to read the text, pray, and move forward from there. It says in verse number 35, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said, 
to him. Everyone is looking for you. Can anybody identify with that? Every mom in this room probably has felt that at some point in your life. It goes on to say, and he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogue throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we step into this text, may we recognize the exact principles that you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is in one of the busiest seasons of his life. In a very short period of time, he has emerged on the scene as one of the most charismatic and revolutionary leaders of his day. According to the preceding verses, Jesus' life had been packed with work and ministry and what we might refer to as work-related stress. So in the preceding verses, I'll just reference the verse itself. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. That was in verse 13. He was preaching the gospel throughout Galilee, verse 14, calling the disciples, verse 17. He was traveling to various cities in verse 21. He was teaching in the synagogues of those cities, verses 21 and 22. He was casting out demons, verse 25. He was dealing with issues from overnight fame and notoriety, verse 28. He was making house calls for sick people, verses 29 through 31. And he was healing people who were demon-possessed and diseased, verses 32 through 34. Now, that's a lot going on. But if you want to see the extent of it, there's a couple of other phrases along the way that help us see the magnitude of what this was like. In verse 28, it says, news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district in Galilee. Verse 32, people were bringing to him all who were ill or demon-possessed. Verse 33, the whole city showed up at the door. That must be a really big door or very few people. Uh, verse 34, he healed many who were ill, cast out many demons. Those words help us see something everywhere, all, whole city, many. The size and the scope of Jesus' ministry was growing exponentially. So Jesus is dealing with everyone's problems and everyone's hurts and everyone's failures and everyone's illnesses and everyone's crazy family members, both literally and figuratively. He's been tempted by Satan. He's been praised by the Father. And he has been chased down by what's referred to as the tyranny of the urgent. And yet, right in the midst of all of that, Jesus slips away to a place of solitude and silence. I want to take just a moment because we need to set up a couple of ideas about rest and what it says about that according to Scripture. And all of these things you'll find is Scripture mentions multiple types of rest, but most of these are connected to some type of a rhythm of life, a cycle of life. So, for example, there is creation rest. That's found over in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. That is, God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. Now, we all recognize God did not get tired. He did not rest because he got worn out. But rather, God is setting a rhythm for humanity to follow. And that rhythm now pops up the next type of rest. That is Sabbath rest or work-related rest. It says over in Exodus 34, 21, you shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest, 
even during plowing time, and harvest you shall rest. So just like God's pattern in creation, people are to work for six days, they are to rest on the seventh. Now, unlike God, we do get tired. We do get worn out. And a part of Sabbath rest for us is to recognize there is a God, we are not him, and we can trust him while we rest. Then there's land rest that is mentioned. According to Leviticus 25, verse number 4, also found in verses 8 through 12, cultivated ground needed to rest every seven years. So during that seventh year, the people were commanded that they were not to sow seed into the fields and they were not to prune their vineyards. Even the earth itself needed time to rest. Now this word rest is generally referred to as peace, as ease, or as refreshment. Peace, ease, refreshment. God has modeled it, we need it, and even the earth itself requires it. But there is something that happened back in Genesis chapter 3 that makes it unbelievably difficult for people to be at peace or to be at ease or to be refreshed. It's called the fall of humanity. In rebellion, we question God's word, God's authority, and God's plan. Remnants of that rebellion are still present within the flesh even to this day. We're constantly battling this question of, does God really know what is best for me? So from the moment humanity fell, the moment we thought we knew better than God what we needed, we have struggled with rest because we have struggled with trust. You need to hear that again. We have struggled with rest because we have struggled with trust. To truly rest, to be at peace, to be at ease, to be refreshed, means that you and I have to trust God's sovereignty, trust God's word, trust God's ways, trust God's timing, trust God's provision, trust God's wisdom. It means we're gonna have to trust him. And throughout the Old Testament, you can find that people have a really difficult time taking God at what he says. He would say to do this, and they're like, we're going to give that a try until some other shiny, flashy thing grabs their attention and they move the other direction and they find themselves in failure and they find themselves weary and they find themselves broken. That type of struggle is now what leads into a new type of rest that is found in the New Testament. I would refer to this as spiritual rest. So after attempting to live life on our own terms and through our own strength, we find ourselves weary and burdened and broken. And it's that type of person that Jesus comes to in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When sinful people repent of that sin and enter relationship with God, there is now rest between that person and their creator. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works because God did from his in other words, when a person enters that relationship with God, they stop trying in their effort through their ability to make God happy themselves. They get off of the performance-based rituals. They can rest because their relationship is secure in the Son of God. 
But here's the thing. You and I are still living in fallen bodies. We are still dealing with issues that came as a result of the fall. So even in our knowledge of that and even in our desire for that, we still find ourselves going over those boundaries sometimes, and God has to remind us of another type of rest. That would be physical rest. Over in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus told his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. In other words, ministry was jumping. It was fast. There were things happening. It was so much going on. They didn't even have time to stop. And Jesus had to tell his disciples, you need to get away to a desolate place and you need to rest a while. Why? Because our bodies still need rest. Our bodies need rest. Our minds need to shut off. That also leads into a different type of rest. I'm going to call this divine rest. That's what we have over in Mark chapter 1. There is a type of rest that only happens in the presence of God. This is not Sabbath rest that happens one time a week. It's not spiritual rest that takes place at salvation. It's not physical rest that should take place every night. This has nothing to do with creation. It has nothing to do with land. It has everything to do with being in the presence of God. There is a type of rest. There is a type of refreshing. There is a type of ease that only comes when you're in the presence of God. So, for example, Jesus told his followers 10 times in the first 10 verses of John 15, abide in me. You know what that phrase abide means? It means to be at ease in or to rest in. Ten times he says, be at ease in me. Rest in me. We find Joshua 1.13, it tells us the Lord your God gives you rest. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Living in a fallen world requires us to have regular times that we're pulling away from all of the distractions, all of the stuff, and we get into the presence of God where there is focus on him, that we are in his presence, focused on him, learning from him, sitting with him, abiding in Christ. There is a type of a refreshing that happens in that moment that enables all of the other types of rest to actually be restful. So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is resting in. He is at ease before the Father. But there's a couple of principles that we find in here that actually impact all of these other areas. So Lord willing, we'll be able to unpack these well. Here's the first. Rest must be a priority even when you're busy. It must be a priority even when you're busy. The principle can be seen in Sabbath alone, that Sabbath rest that we've already referred to. I love how Exodus chapter 34 it says you will work for six days and you're going to rest on the seventh, but it anticipates how we're going to respond. It anticipates the fact that we're going to say, okay, that's good for regular life, but when I get really, really busy, then I can bypass that. 
So the end of that verse, it literally says, you shall work for six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during plowing time and harvest, you shall rest. In other words, the busiest time of the year, you still need to rest. We also find that principle at play with physical rest. It has to be a priority. Jesus is telling the disciples over in Mark chapter 6 that they were to pull away from the crowds. They didn't even have time in order to eat. Did you know that a full plate of ministry is still not a good excuse to not rest and pull away? Jesus told his disciples, you need to pull away and you need to rest. We also find this divine rest, the principle being used here as well. Jesus pulls away from ministry demands and he spends time alone before the Father. That type of rest is a priority for our work, for our health, and absolutely it is a part for our spiritual needs. Forbes magazine carried an article a number of years ago entitled, How Extreme Is Your Job? It featured the story of a lady named Barbara, and she was one who left her position as the director of the American Express Small Business Unit. And in the article, here's what it said, and I quote, the breaking point came when her son started kindergarten and she didn't have time to wait for with him at the bus stop. The hamster on the wheel analogy is the best way to describe how I felt, she says. It's a feeling that's shared by many Americans who know that simply working hard isn't enough anymore. To get ahead, a 70-hour work week is the new standard. What little spare time is left is often divvied among relationships, kids, and sleep. Americans are unbelievably busy. The question is, what price are we paying for that busyness? Work-related stress has been linked to heart attacks, high blood pressure, hypertension, overeating, lack of sleep, anxiety, depression, and a seemingly endless list of other health concerns. Busyness also affects the quality of life that we experience with our families. Quality of life is not exactly the same thing as standard of living. Okay, you need to hear that. Because our standard of living is often like the socioeconomic level we're at, the type of house, the type of cars, those types of things. But that's not necessarily quality of life. Our quality of life is one that is measured in memories that are made along the way. So when you see your child walk for the first time, a memory is made that leads to a greater quality of life. Whenever you attend ball games for your kids or dance recitals or birthday parties or you just hang out with your family and you all spend time together, there are memories that are being made and those memories lead to a deeper quality of life. What we find is Jesus sets an example that even in the busiest points of life, rest still has to be a priority. Now, one of our problems in rest being a priority is we have every excuse in the world as to why that applies to everyone else other than us. So I'm going to list out some excuses that you might be able to identify with. Here's just a few of those we use. I have too much work to do. My job is too demanding. I can rest when this project is finished. I just enjoy my work. I'm a perfectionist. This is how God made me. I'm doing this for my family. 
I can sleep when I'm dead. I've got to keep going while my mind is sharp. I have to pay my dues like everyone else. This is just a phase. It's going to get easier soon. Or my body only needs five hours of sleep. The reason I can list those is I've used every single one of them. I can tell you without a doubt, this passage, this concept, is one of the most difficult pieces in my life. It's one that I love what I do. I love spending time in the Word. I love ministry. And that can be a double-edged sword sometimes. Because if you don't like your job, it's not hard to walk away from it. If you love what you do, your mind often is going even when you're not on the clock. This is a hard one for me. So here's the second piece that we can see. How we rest determines if we rest. Part of the rest that we need is only found in the presence of God. That type of rest, that divine rest, as I've mentioned it, has a great bearing on whether or not these other parts of rest are actually going to be established in our life. But I want you to notice several key pieces that are found in verse 35. It says, Jesus got up in the early morning while it was still dark. I love the early morning. There's something about getting alone with God in the early morning before my phone starts just blowing up that I love. But here's the reason that's important. To rest in the presence of God is often going to mean you have to have other disciplines in your life you might not enjoy. Because the moment people can get to you, you're going to be gotten after. I don't even think that's good English, but you get what I'm talking about. Here's another one. He went away to a secluded place. To fully focus on being with God will often require us to get away from the noise, the distractions, the pressures, and to find a secluded place. There's nothing wrong with praying at all times. That's good. But let me just say, if you're trying to have your prayer life while dodging traffic on the way to work, that's not a secluded place. It's hard to concentrate. If you're trying to listen to a devotional time while driving your kids to school, that's probably not going to be a focused time for you, for them, or anybody else around. There's something important about finding that time that you pull away from everything and you just get alone in the presence of God. And then it says, and he was praying there. Prayer and rest are inseparable. Could it be that we don't have the rest we need because we don't pray as we should? Prayer brings clarity. It brings peace. It brings answers. It brings effectiveness. For rest to be optimal, prayer is not optional. Now, here's what I have seen over the years. This is Paul the pastor speaking. You might have a different viewpoint. This is just Paul. What I've seen over the years is when people get overwhelmed with their schedule, they try to cut back on their devotional time to regain time somewhere in their week. 
So I've got three statements I want to give you about that. The first one's so fun, I'm not even going to give you commentary around it. We never gain time by losing discipline. Second, gained leisure is a poor substitute for neglected intimacy. Yes, you got the boat out this weekend. That's nice. Yes, you got a chance to go to that new hunting property. That's great. Yes, you got a chance to hang out with friends. Yes, you got a chance to binge watch Netflix on Friday night and Saturday and catch up for the whole series. That, that might be great. But if to do that, it cost you intimacy with God, that was a poor trade. And number three, the scriptural categories of rest are not interchangeable. Sabbath rest that happens one day a week cannot be exchanged for physical rest that needs to happen every night. In other words, you cannot say, well, at the end of the week, I've got this day, I'm not doing anything, so it's okay to keep pushing the boundaries. Each. These are not interchangeable. Another one on those would be our, our time of rest each night. Physical rest is not interchangeable with the person who is wanting to spend time with God. There is a type of divine rest. There is something that comes in God's presence that is not the same as you getting a good night of sleep. These are not interchangeable terms. Now, before I leave this section, I want to mention another reason it's hard for us to find rest. And that is often our methods that we use are nothing other than anxiety in disguise. So even if you're not talking about spending time, even if you're talking about just leisure time and there being nothing wrong with that leisure time, sometimes we walk away from leisure time more worn out than what we did when we started. Now let me give you a couple of examples from my life. I used to think watching college football on Saturday was relaxing. The problem is I passionately dislike a lot of teams. It's borderline hatred. I hate to say it, but it probably is. Now, if you need three hours of confession after watching 30 minutes of football, that is not a good setup. Now, that's not my struggle. That's what Bree has told me, but <laughs> I'm kidding. She doesn't care anything about football right there. That is, that's me. Like that, that was not restful for me. Here's another one. We actually had to stop, start changing some of the games we were playing. In our mind, here's the thought. It's like, family game time is fun. That's relaxing. It was not fun nor relaxing in our house at all. We played a game called Dutch Blitz. And if you've not heard of that game, it is a combination between solitaire and pounce and speed. And for five-minute intervals, all chaos breaks loose at the dining room table. Your eyes are scanning 10 to 15 different stacks of cards, and you're matching numbers and colors and alternating images, and you're looking at your cards and the person next to you. You're looking at their cards, and you're looking at common cards, and everything is moving at warp speed, and everybody is talking, and everybody is drinking an excessive amount of coffee to get the competitive edge you need for the game. And by the time the game is over, your hands are shaking, and your eyes are twitching, and you're like, boy, that was relaxing. No, it wasn't. That is anxiety that is disguised. 
The same thing holds true for some of the programs and the movies we watch. If by the time you're done, you got to calm down for an hour and a half, that's probably not the best thing to watch. Checking email late in the evening, it doesn't seem like much, but here's what happens. You're processing information when your mind should be shifting to downtime. Time online means you're often bombarded with flashing images and headlines of things that you can't change that are happening around the world. And there's the sale of the century that's happening at Kohl's right now. And then if you go on social media, you find out that everybody else is living their best life in that moment and you feel bad because you're at home watching online. So you feel the urgency, I gotta get out and do something. Listen, how we rest determines if we rest. We gotta get away from the noise. Here's the last one and we'll close. Our work is often clarified through our rest. Now at this point in Jesus' ministry, it seemed like everything was going in the right direction. He's preaching the gospel and crowds are showing up. People are following him and they're devoting their lives to his teachings. His healing ministry is off the charts. Demons are trembling in his presence. Everywhere he goes, people recognize him and they desire for him to speak into their life or to help them in some way. It seems like everything is going perfectly as planned. And then there's a shift that takes place after Jesus prayed. If you would, let's look back again at verses 36 and 37 for just a moment. He said, Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now look at what he says in verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Whoa. If the point was to draw a crowd and to preach the gospel and to have people receive the message, why in the world would you leave the area that they're flocking to and go somewhere else? What was the directive? I mean, Simon's like, everybody wants you. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's time to roll. We've got to bounce. What happened that caused him to make that statement. There's only one thing that took place in this text, verse 35. He was praying. There was something that happened in his time in prayer where the father says, it's time to go to the next spot. It's time to move forward. Now, here's why that is so unbelievably important. Our work is often clarified in our rest. Are there burdens that you and I are carrying right now that God might have released this morning had we been spending time with him? Are there areas that we're saying, I don't have enough time? And by the way, that is, that is like the statement of my life. One day on my tombstone, it's going to be like, I didn't have enough time. That's probably going to be there. Like, I always feel like I don't have enough time. And so many times when I get overwhelmed or frustrated, I will begin to pray through everything that's sitting on my list, everything that's on my calendar. And I'll ask God, like, God, what do you want me to do? And I cannot tell you how many times his list and my list are different. 
There is not enough time in the day for me to do everything on my list. But there is enough time and grace in the day for me to do what God would have me to do. Are we going to submit our things before him and let God live his life through us? C.S. Lewis once said, the bulk of the Christian life is to be lived in response, not initiative. That's a good word. Instead of going out and saying, I'm going to do this and ask God's blessing, this is, I'm going to be with God and get my directives from him. My life will be lived in response to what God would have me to do. My goal for today has simply been to help people see a biblical need for rest maybe to evaluate the busyness of their life, to, to ask themselves just an honest question. Is it leading to human flourishing or is it leading to a lesser quality of life? My goal has been to try to give some truths from Scripture to help people step back into God's designed plan, his balance between busyness or work and rest. I, I'm sharing this message at this time because there's nothing like the holiday season to emphasize how little margin we actually have in our lives. It's tight without all the Christmas parties, without all the extra shopping, without all of the other things. But it's during these times that we find out how little margin we have. And, and here's, here's what you'll sometimes discover. Full calendars become so overwhelming that the very things that should bring us greater joy are now the very things that lead to greater frustration. We don't have time yet. We don't have energy in the tank. We, we, we don't have focus that we need to have. In the, it's like we just keep pushing through the moment. And all the while, God's saying, come away with me. Abide in me. Rest in me. Be at ease in me. So here's my final quote. If this morning's message has not stung enough, let me give you one final piece on the way out the door. This is a quote from Wayne Cordero in his book, Leading on Empty. He said, solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. Let me say that again. Solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. So this morning, are you choosing solitude or are you craving isolation? Is there an area in your life today, we've listed out all of these different types of rest is there an area in your life today that you're saying, God just keeps prompting me over and over in this area. I, I need to find balance in this area. It might be in physical rest. It might be in Sabbath rest. It might be in divine rest. It might be that your devotional time has gone lacking over time because you're just trying to, to make it all work. It might be that God's just saying, we just need to sit down and we need to work through all of this. Here's my thing. Don't turn away those promptings of God. God is not saying we need to rest because he doesn't want us to experience joy. 
He says you need to rest because he is our creator and he knows what is best for us. And at the same time, the only way we can enjoy what it is that he provides is when we pursue it in the plan that he has set out before us. Take time to rest. Let's pray. His heads are bowed for just a moment. We have our band that is coming forward. We're going to just kind of go into this final song of invitation. And in this time, you might be in a place that I feel like I've been in the last couple of weeks. And that is every time I would turn around, I just kept hearing God say, rest, pull away, pull away. And it might be that you've been in that same place and you just don't know how to get off the hamster wheel right now. All I can tell you is a starting place for every born-again follower of Jesus Christ is to pull away into the presence of God and allow him to help us reframe, sometimes reshift, and realign our priorities so that they align with his Instead of just blazing through life and just getting nowhere faster, why not rest in the presence of God and say, God, I want to experience everything that you would have for me in this moment. I don't want to rush the moment. I want to be fully here. But I also want to be fully here for my grandkids, great-grandkids. I want to be fully present so that if you desire to prompt me in an area of ministry that I'm not a part of, I will be in a place of solitude and silence so that I can hear your voice when you speak. God, I don't want to just run through life. I want to walk step and step with you. So I don't know where you might be this morning. Our time of invitation is going to be open for how God is prompting you. It might be that some people in the room, they have never experienced that spiritual rest, that they are still trying to do it all themselves. They're trying to earn God's favor. They're, they're trying to hold it all together, and they're just getting more and more frustrated day after day, and even their best is not good enough, and they recognize that. And Jesus would say to that person, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that you? Is that the invitation he's calling to you with? Only you would know how the Spirit of God is prompting. We're going to have pastors and some of our counselors and some of our pastors' wives will be at the front. If you need somebody to pray with you, if you've got a burden that's on your heart, if, if you don't know what the next step needs to be, talk to somebody. Our desire is that we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to experience the fullness of what it looks like to walk in Christ. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may your spirit do what only your spirit can do. Clarify in our mind how it is that we are to practically live out this message. Convict us of those areas in our hearts that are not in alignment with yours. God, help us to see each point along the way that you're saying, that's not my best. I've got something better. And Lord, may we submit and fall in alignment with you. 
And God, may we see the fruit of what it looks like for you to live your life in and through us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing and also the invitation time is open.